Good morning. Here's our scripture. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test what and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. So, um, by the way, my name is Amanda. I'm one of the pastors here um, at Hope, soon to be Mosaic, which I know it's very confusing right now. We're working on it. Um, but the past few months for me has been a bit bonkers. Um, it started in October with my daughter Lucy's eighth birthday, and then it was followed by a fantastic retreat with all or many of you, um, and then it moved into Halloween, which when you have a lot of kids, that shouldn't be a big deal. It's more stressful than you can imagine, um, and then it was followed by a visit from my mom and her friends who had to see multiple shows and crashed on my couch. It was like a, an adult slumber party. It was very strange. Um, There were two work trips, three days in October, November, and then it moved into Judah's birthday uh, in mid-November, followed by Thanksgiving, which we had a great service here with a big potluck and lots of fun, and then followed by actual Thanksgiving, which I had plans to cook a giant meal for my family and anyone else who wanted to join in. And this was just getting through November, which was then followed by two more family birthdays, an anniversary, anniversary, international travel for my entire family, which has never happened and probably never will happen again, Um, domestic travel, a visit from my sister and my nephew, planning and shopping for Christmas for my family, planning for Christmas Eve services here and Christmas services here and, and so on, right? It's been a bit nuts. But back to Thanksgiving. Because I spent the Wednesday before planning and prepping, pretty exhausted from everything that had taken place in October and November, and knowing all the while everything that was about to come through December and the beginning of January. And I got to Thanksgiving morning, the day that is supposed to be full of gratitude and joy, and I was dead, totally dead on the inside. I don't even have a picture of Thanksgiving because I didn't want to capture it. I have pictures of the day after, but not a single picture of that day that I had worked so hard for. My life was jam-packed, full to the brim, surrounded by really, really good things. All those things I just listed were good, right? And I was miserable. And it was a deep reminder to me that it is possible for our lives to be full of good things, even overflowing, and yet must be left unfulfilled. Jesus talks about how he came for us to have life to the full, a fulfilling life where we're rooted in God's love, we're living in his way that he carved out through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. The question is how? How in the world Does this become a reality in our lives? Last week, Dan started talking about something that was introduced in the second century called a rule of life. And we're going to continue that conversation today. It comes from the Latin word regula, which means trellis. 
It's what allows us, this trellis, this structure, to remain in Christ, to make a home in him in a way that allows us to be transformed and to be a part of the redemption and the renewal of the world. Jesus in John 15, as he's talking about, really, he's giving us guidelines for what it means for us to have a fruitful life full of the Holy Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit coming out of us. He gives us this word picture of a vine and branches and staying connected to him and rooted in him. Gives us this picture of a vineyard, right? Which is where we get this idea of a trellis from. Because if you know what a trellis is used for in a vineyard, it's a structure that allows the branches to come up off of the ground, so that they're not susceptible to, um, to animals eating them, to being trampled on, right? It allows, it allows them to be fruitful. Without a regula, a trellis, without structure, it remains fruitless. And so this is our image. We want to have a structure so that our lives can be full but fulfilling, so we talk about this idea of a rule of life, a regular structure for our lives in order to do this. John Mark Comer, who is a pastor on the West Coast and who has done a lot of work regarding this, um, I am unashamedly stealing um, from him. It is actually something that is a part of my rule of life is that when someone has good stuff, I will steal it. I have no problem with that. I don't need to take credit for it. So a lot of what it is that you hear today comes from him. We also are doing a series in the next few weeks with a small group study um, talking about the ruthless elimination of hurry. Um, Also comes from a book that he's written. But he defines a rule of life like this. He says it's a schedule for life and a set of relational rhythms that create space to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he was us. It helps us turn our ideas, our great ideas, into reality so that we're not just wishful thinking, right? It helps us live in alignment with our deepest desires, not just being thrown by the whim of whatever current emotion that we have. And when we're able to live in alignment with our deep desires, we experience a greater sense of peace because we don't have that tension of what we want and what reality is. And so today... Dan talked all about this last week. If you weren't here, go to our podcast, take a listen to it. He also, you can actually watch him live stream from Sunnyside. You can go find that online. I encourage you to take a listen to it um, if you want more context for what a rule of life is. But today, we're going to really dive into some more particulars. So I'm serious. If you didn't get a program and you need something to write on, go back and grab a program. Pull out a pen. There are times that when you come to church, it's going to be really great teaching and you're going to get all this incredible cultural context for the scripture and we're going to walk through it, you know, and all that. Um, That's not today. There's going to be times where you get passionate preaching. That's going to be next week when our friend Drew Jackson, when he comes from the Lori side and he comes to share with us. Today is going to feel a bit more like a workshop. The reality is that the church right now, we have access to more study tools than ever before in the history of the world. I mean, you can pull up all the original language and the context, and at the same time, especially the Western church, we maybe have never been more disobedient. And so this is a day where we're taking this truth from Scripture, and we're going to flesh it out. And we're going to start talking about really practically, what are some guidelines? What are some things for me to keep in mind 
when it comes to creating and crafting a rule of life so that I can actually live in the way that I desire to live, so that I can actually live where my discipleship is leading me to this divine union with a God who loves me. So, as Chris just read, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. One of the things that Dan said last week was that you have a rule of life. You have a pattern to which you live your life. The question isn't whether or not you have one. The question is, do you know what it is and what it is doing to you? Your rule of life it will either be the patterns of the world that shape your choices, where the bottom line is often power or money or significance, or it will be the patterns of your flesh immediate gratification and sex and survival and dominance that will form your choices, or the patterns of your life will be an act of worship and a desire for union with the one who made you, the one who loves you. So we're going to spend some time walking through these practicalities. And again, following the service, we're going to take this even deeper downstairs. I encourage you to come join us. And we'll also give you a taste. If you've never been a part of one of our midweek communities where we have more uh, communion and conversation with each other, I encourage you to stick around. There's pizza. I know not everybody likes pizza, but it's cheap and it's easy. And I you know, can't cook for you while I'm up here. So, um, so. Seven things for you to keep in mind as you craft a rule of life. The very first is to start small. So many of us, we attempt to overreach. We get ex- At least if you're like me, I get excited and I think I'm going to change everything about everything in one season, right? But one of the things that we say here all the time is that God only meets you where you really are. Not where you think you should be. So don't let guilt and shame motivate you, but instead be honest about where you are and start from there. Start small. Small baby steps. What was that movie? Remember that? Baby steps. Anyway. um, But start small. Saying that, the general rule of thumb is that we need one hour a day of prayer to truly be transformed. And when I say prayer, I mean time dedicated to God. An hour a day of consistent time dedicated to God. And that could be all things. That could be singing, that could be sitting in silence, reading scripture, praying. Any time that is dedicated to sitting with and being with God. And I know if you're like me, you hear that and you go, whoa, what? But don't check out just yet. Because right now, the average American... I know some of you are above average or below average, but the average American is spending two hours a day on Facebook products. So that includes Instagram. Two hours a day. So if we're wanting to create space to be formed by the love of God in our life, it's going to need some time. But if you currently do not spend a single minute of your regular day in prayer, time set aside for God, do not start with an hour. You will do one day and you will fall asleep in seven minutes. It won't happen. Start with five minutes. Start small. For many of us, the small step 
that we need to take might be actually buying an old school analog alarm clock, okay? And sleeping with your phone in another room. Right now, most of us, if you're honest, we sleep with our phone next to our bed and use that as an alarm clock. And the very first thing we do is grab our phone. And so before we've spent any time sitting with God, sitting in silence, praying, reading anything, we're consumed by what's happening in the world. There's this thing, neurogenesis. It's the generation of neurons in your brain. It's responsible for learning and memory. And it's, it's connected to while you sleep. The last thing that you think about and the first thing that you think about will shape your brain more than anything else. It's like your brain is most pliable while you're sleeping. And so what it is that you're putting into your head right before you go to bed and right when you wake up seriously, seriously matters. And think about what is happening to an entire generation when their final thoughts are really soft porn on Netflix and then they wake up to a tweet from our president, an angry email from your boss, or a scroll through Instagram where everybody looks beautiful and happy and wealthy and you're still in your pajamas and you're probably going to be late for work, right? For me, something that I have done is I have, because I've, I've learned I can't have my phone. If I go to my phone, I'm gone. I go into a hundred other things. I don't know what you all do in the middle of the night, but I wake up and there's things that I need to address from all of you. So before that, I've actually, I've started putting either a devotional book or my Bible, the physical Bible, if you need one, I can get you one, next to my bed. And before my feet touch the floor, I will spend even just five minutes reading a psalm. If it's too long of a psalm, I'll read half of it. Because I know as soon as I walk out the door and have to deal with all those kids, forget about it. It's on. And my mind is being formed by something else. So for some of you, again, that very small step might just be buying an an analog alarm clock. I'm not kidding. It will change your life. Now, will all of this, if you do five minutes a day and you get an analog alarm clock, will it turn you into Mother Teresa? No. Okay, you need more than five minutes, but you need to start somewhere. So start small. Next thing, be specific. If it's not clear and to the point, it's not actually a rule of life. A few years ago, I decided I was going to start running some. And when I say running, I mean jogging, okay? Uh, There's a a guy who's a part of our church. He actually just finished his 29th marathon yesterday. I am not anything like that. I actually hate running, mostly because I look like a tomato for about four hours after I've done any sort of exercise. It's, It's rough here. So I took it easy, but I built myself into someone who could run about three or so miles, three or four times a week, and I was really proud of myself. It was starting to make a difference in my mental health, my physical health. I'm like, okay, so January last year, I was like, all right, here's my resolution. I'm going to take my exercise and health to the next level. I didn't clarify what that meant. It's lofty and ambiguous, next level. And it was like a brick wall. I don't know what happened, but it's the clock turned over to January 2019, and my plans for healthy living just crumbled. I did not go for a jog for at least three months. Turns out, next level is not specific. You have to be specific. So if you're going, you know what, I need to be, I need to have downtime, right? Saying, be relaxed is not specific. I'm going to take a 24-hour Sabbath from sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday 
where I disconnect from social media and any sort of work, that's specific. That's something you can actually go, okay, this is when I'm going to do that. So as you craft a rule of life, be specific. Three, subtraction, not addition. Don't add more on. I, you can hear me saying right now like, oh, okay, well, I need to be exercising and I need to be reading. No, 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 no. I'm not saying read four hours a day and exercise 14 times a week or run 29 marathons. No, this is all about slowing down, proclaiming that we are loved as much when we are not doing as when we are. Our culture is pushing us and pushing us to be full and overfoot overfull, without being fulfilled. Part of crafting a rule of life is pushing back on that and saying, no, no, my two-year-old does not need to have a birthday party that rivals my wedding. No. I'm ser- Dude, I'm serious. There are some birthday parties out there, guys. The toddler birthday party game, you want to get in on that. It is fun. I take my kids and I say, pretend this is your party because it's not happening for you. Um, but it's about subtraction not addition. Do not hear me saying you need to add a whole bunch of things. It's identifying what's most important and beginning with that and cutting things out of your life. Next one. Take into account your season of life and your stage of discipleship. I'm a parent with small children. I wish I could sit and read all day long. I can't. I see posts from people, especially at the turn of the new year, they're like, these are my top 50 books from 2019. And they've listed them out along with like a little review of the book. I'm like, I just fed people, okay? I got through two whole books, kind of. I get through like 75% of them this whole year. It's not my stage of life. You have to be honest, again, in the same way of starting small. It's being honest about where you're at. What's your stage of discipleship? Is this all brand new for you? Okay, well, don't expect that you're going to be somebody who's like, again, sitting in silence for six hours. Um, Dan, this last year, he spent some time at a monastery um, on a silent retreat. It was about four days. And if you know Dan being silent... That is not. Those things don't go together. Less than 24 hours after he got there, I see the phone is from him. I'm like, oh, maybe it's an emergency. And he's like, hey, how are you? I'm like, no, uh-uh, you signed up for this. Bye, buddy. Um, <laughs> but he talked about how throughout the day, every few hours, the bells would chime. And the monks who live at the monastery, what they do is when the bells chime, they stop everything they're doing and they pray. If you're they're visiting, you don't have to participate in like the 3 a.m. bells or anything. Um, but they stop everything that they're doing and they pray. And the reason that they do this is, one, to pray, but it's also to acknowledge that their time is not their own. Their time is not their own. So my question for you is, you think about your season of life, what is your monastic bell? What are the interruptions in your life that can serve as calls to prayer for you and ways that you can recognize that your time is not your own. If you have small children, chances are it's your children, the interruptions. There's actually, yesterday I was trying to hide in my room because small apartments, there's nowhere to go, right? I was trying to hide in my room to work on this and um, all of my children, Liam, do you have that picture of three of them hiding or coming and, and bugging me? Um, hey, Liam, where you at? 
Oh, you can't see it very well. Anyway, there were three of them. This is Dan comes in. He just starts laughing at me because I'm like, I can't, there's, no, there's no hope here, right? Do they serve as my monastic bells? And when I can look at them and go, okay, these interruptions in my life that I would ordinarily view as an annoyance and a frustration, I can say, okay, you're helping me recognize that my time is not my own. How is it that I can turn to God in this moment? So what is it for you in your season of life? Is it your roommate? Is that the person who's interrupting you? Is it potentially your spouse? Another form of a roommate that is interrupting you and and turning you back to prayer. The point of of this, as you take into account your season of life and stage of discipleship, is that you cannot copy and paste someone else's formula but you have to look at where it is that you're at right now. You have to look at what's, what's happening in your life and in your season. Next is your personality. You need to take into account your own personality as you are crafting a rule of life. If you are introverted, you need to carve out lots and lots of time to be alone. You need to plan for it. Know that you need it and get it. I have a friend who is an introvert, but she is a fantastic dinner companion and has requests for dinner six out of seven nights a week. She should only respond to one or two of those, but it's hard for her because everybody likes her and she's great to have dinner with. But in her rule of life, for her to go, you know what, I'm an introvert, I have to say no to good things. If you are an extrovert, don't feel bad. You need to be around people, and that's okay. Take that into consideration. How is it that you connect with God? Consider that. Is it somewhere? Is it being out in nature? Is it for you? I mean, and again, if you live on Roosevelt Island, we're so blessed. We're so fortunate to have the, you know, the parks that we have and the rivers and everything. Even if you can't get to Bear Mountain on a consistent basis, how is it that you can structure into your time? I need to be in nature. I need to just walk to South Point Park. I need to just walk to Lighthouse Park and put that into my rule of life and schedule where it's time set apart to be with God and to, and to let his love wash over me. If it's music, how is it that you're you know, finding music that's actually connecting with you and, and reminding you of truth and good things? If it's food, take me out to dinner, okay? Because that's for me. It's all about good food. But you're creating and crafting a way of life that is you, it's fully you, but in front of God, fully aware of his presence. The next is having an upstream and a downstream balance. Upstream, think swimming upstream. It's difficult, right? These are disciplines. These are practices that are difficult for you. These are hard for you. Working out for me is upstream. Sitting in silence for me is upstream. I do not like these things. Saying no to certain types of foods, these are upstream things for me. Downstream for me, easy for me, is any sort of hospitality. I love to have people over. I don't even think of it as a task. I'm just, of course, come over, let's eat and let's feast and celebrate together. That is, that is a downstream practice for me. So when you're crafting a rule of life, because we're not just looking at, okay, how is it that we can have the most plush life ever and everything we life? There, like, there has to be a combination of upstream and downstream. Because we're desiring that God is going to continue to form us and mature us, which means it's not just all the things we enjoy, but recognizing there are some tried and true practices, silence, Sabbath, um, solitude, all of these types of things that need to be a part of our rhythm. 
but you have to balance it. So lots of downstream, lots of things that are life-giving and energizing for you, and a few upstream that you then commit to. Healthy balance. And then lastly, in this list of seven, is holistic. Your rule of life needs to be holistic. It's your whole life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all that we are. The downside of calling things spiritual disciplines is that we don't see that everything that we do forms us. It can either make us more like Jesus or less like Jesus. Everything that we do forms our spirit. There's actually no word in Hebrew for spiritual. Because everything about you, your whole being when it's integrated is considered to be your soul. I love Eugene Peterson, what he did with the message translation, specifically this passage from Romans, is really helpful for us uh, when we think about crafting a rule of life. He says, so here's what I want you to do. This is the same passage I read earlier, just as paraphrased. He said, God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize that he wants from you what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And that is what we want, right? The best out of us. Mature, able to weather storms and difficulties because they're going to come. That's what we want and what we long for. And so we recognize that everything is spiritual. Our diet, our sleep, our exercise, our relationships, what we're putting into our minds, what we're watching, it's all spiritual. Our hobbies, as well as the standard spiritual practices of coming to church, being in community, committing to morning and evening prayer, When you craft a rule of life, recognizing this is a holistic process, that's what after service we're going to start kind of diving into some of those specific areas of our life and how is it that we can start crafting that. A few extra reminders. It's a working document. It's dynamic. It requires pruning and changing. I learned this uh, thing a couple years ago about a vineyard that 90% of the vines have to be pruned every year. 90%. So when you think about, well, I thought I kind of had my life together and now it seems like it's all a mess. It's okay. It's 90%. It's because it's got to be thrown out because it's a new season. So as your seasons change, your rule of life needs to change. If you go from single to married, if you get a new job, if you go from childless to having children or your children, they will eventually grow up and they'll be in different seasons of life and they'll require different things. Your rule of life needs to change. So you revisit it on a regular basis and ask the question, is this still doing its job to bring me closer to Jesus? Is it doing that? 
One of the suggestions is that you commit for a time period. So once you craft this rule of life, a minimum of three months, probably a maximum of a year before you really revisit it again and go, is this actually working? Is this, is this doing its job to bring me closer to Jesus? And that leads me to this next reminder that this is a rule of life is meant to do a job. It's not the end product. It's a means to an end and not the end in itself. For you type A people out there, you'll be like, I've got a rule of life and I'm living it. And meanwhile, you're nothing like Jesus. Okay? The goal is not that we have a rule of life and follow it. It is a tool to form us, to create space, to put us in the presence of Jesus so that his Holy Spirit can start working out that fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I want that list, right? Next is to prioritize rest. As you're crafting this, as you're looking at all those things, you prioritize rest. It's a list of things to do as well as a list of things not to do. Richard Foster, in the celebration of discipline, he talked about disciplines of engagement as well as disciplines of abstinence. So disciplines of engagement, coming to church, worshiping, abstinence, fasting, silence, solitude. And I would suggest that in the busier urban context, with the more people in your life, with the more hectic your schedule, we probably need more disciplines of abstinence and rest. We need to kind of lean that way because everything is pushing us the other way. Everything is pushing us to be overscheduled and overfull. It is, I think it is absolutely imperative that every single one of us, and again, we're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks, has a vision for and a rule of life for our minimum of 24-hour Sabbath, meaning a full day of rest every week what that looks like. I can't imagine how much that would change us if we were to truly grasp that and commit to that. Many of us are so busy, we don't have the margin, meaning the space between our load and our limits. And when we do have time, we often get sucked down into the digital well. And instead of sitting in silence, we start that scroll, or we start binging, and it's not all bad. I mean, I'm with you guys. Like, I like certain TV shows. They're fun. Certain Netflix specials. But very few of us get done binge-watching a show and say, I'm just so aware of God right now. I'm just so happy and content, you know? I feel great about my body. I feel really good about my life. Like, I don't want anything to be different. You know, as I go to bed right now and I think about, I just can't wait to get up tomorrow and contribute to the world with joyful creativity. Right? It's rare. Normally we go, oh my gosh, it's two o'clock. What have I done? So, uh, there's, again, I know this is a lot of just like, um, I know it's kind of boring, but best practices, take those into account as well as all those other things. Morning prayer, committing to be here, being a part of your church, Sabbath rest, those are best practices. Those are like baseline. Um, but here are four steps. If you're not going to join us downstairs, here are four steps you can start to get uh, started. Uh, one, start with a time and habit audit. Look at what it is you actually do. I just discovered, I didn't know this, that on your smartphone, if you use one, which most of us do, you can actually see how much time you spent on it as well as per app. 
You can see. And my phone even shows, like, I, like, deleted the Facebook app, but I'll still visit it on the website, you know, through Chrome, because that's whatever. And, uh, and it will show per website, too, how much time you spend. It was a little rough. Um, but find out first what is reality. Sit down and go, what is, my, what is my actual rule of life I'm living by? And then as you begin to craft a new one, you begin with the most important things. You prioritize what's non-negotiable, and you put that in first. It's like packing for a trip. You cannot take everything. I remember there was an illustration I saw one time, you know, about how you start with the big rocks, you know, the important things in life, if you've got pebbles and small rocks and big rocks. And so if they put the small rocks in, then there wasn't room for the big rocks, the important things in the fish tank. You know, you've seen that. And then they reverse it, and they put in the big rocks and the medium and the small and then the pebbles and then the sand, and then they dump water water in on top, you know, and they're saying, see, everything fits. And I want to say that's not entirely true. Not everything can fit. You have to recognize you cannot do it all. I'm speaking to myself right now, okay? You cannot do it all. Some things you recognize, and as a part of a rule of life, you have to recognize your limits. You are not infinite. You are finite, and that's a good thing. Then you try it out. Step three is you try it out. Give yourself a week or two, and you do it for a week or two. And then you make revisions. And then step four is commit. And my suggestion would be is that you commit with people. I crafted a rule of life about a year and a half ago. I was in a class, and it was a part of that class. And at the end of it, it said, and I'm going to have these three people commit to this with me. Show, you know, Help me kind of stay to this. The only problem was I didn't tell them. Okay, so that doesn't work. <laughs> Commit to it then for a season of time. There's a business saying as we wrap up here, there's a business saying that says your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you are getting. And so if the results that you are getting is I feel tired all the time, I'm overwhelmed and stressed, I don't like my body, I feel distant from God, I never feel like I have enough money, I have relationships but they don't feel very deep, I feel full but not fulfilled, chances are something about your life systems are off. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A lot of times we come and we want the truth about Jesus, but he's also giving us a way. He's giving us a way in which to follow him. And when we step into this declaration about who he is, we aren't just placing our faith in a faith, or in a set of principles, but in a person. When we trust him and are with him and are present with him, he, move, he moves us from a place of being full, overfull, to actually being fulfilled.